Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, August sixteenth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to poetsandmuses.com and our SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, as well as Stitcher. With us today is Nadia Talinchuk, with whom I will be discussing her poem "The War" and my poem "If Not Now, When." Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of August seventeenth. On Monday, August seventeenth, from four p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting the fifteenth of its twenty-episode, the Nuijinan Wind Carriers Challenge. In which anyone can participate, but only Indigenous youths between eight and twenty-five are eligible for the prizes, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information about that at facebook.com/events six four four five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash six four four. Five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero. From eight p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Underground Open Mic via Instagram Live, and that's at Poets Underscore Playground Underscore. Again, that's Poets Underscore Playground Underscore. On Tuesday, August eighteenth, from six thirty to nine p.m. British Summer Time. The Poetry Translation Center will be hosting the first of its two online workshops with Sri Lankan Tamil poet Anar. You can find out more information and register at poetrytranslation.org/events. Again, that's poetrytranslation.org/events. From 8:30 to midnight Paris time, Spoken Word Paris will be hosting its Spoken World Online. This week, with the theme of world mythology and featuring Rorschach, you can find out more information by going to facebook.com forward slash events forward slash seven thirty three eight seven zero zero one seven one seven 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 five one. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash seven thirty three eight seven zero zero one seven one seven seven. Seven five one, from three to five p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its weekly first draft open mic for those between the ages of thirteen and twenty-three. This is a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Royal Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org/forward/slash/first-draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org. Slash first draft. From 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, New Day Family Success Center will be hosting its Celebrate National Bad Poetry Day, and you can find out more information about that at newdayfsc.org/events-activities. Again, that's newdayfsc.org/events. Hyphen activities from five to five thirty p.m. Arizona time. Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Wednesday, August nineteenth, from eight thirty p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting its weekly online open mic. You can find out more information by going to their Instagram at sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's at sidewalk underscore Beirut. Signing up to participate starts at eight fifteen p.m. from three to four p.m. Eastern Time. Nuijinan TV will be hosting its weekly Nuijinan Scott Talent, which showcases Indigenous youths between thirteen and twenty-five years old. 
This will take place on Instagram Live. To participate, you should RSVP at Nguijinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. Again, that's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. From 7 p.m. Eastern Time, White Will Bookstore will be hosting its book reading. Pretty Owl Poetry presents Issue 26, featuring Hannah Kajandig-Taylor, Talia Gordon, and P. Hodges-Adams. You can find out more information by going to whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. Again, that's whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his weekly release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's a poet named Superman. On Thursday, August 20th, from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Mutual Arts Philadelphia will be hosting its Art of Activism, Poetry is the Secret Language of Revolutionaries, featuring Ursula Rucker, Nina Lirispect Ball, in conversation with host Ginger Rudolph. You can find out more information by going to mutualarts.org forward slash events. Again, that's muralarts.org forward slash events. From 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tiny Cover will be hosting its virtual poetry night. You can find out more information and register at thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. From 7.30 to 9 p.m. Arizona time, District 4 Poetry will be hosting its monthly poetry open mic. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash district 4 poetry. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash district 4 poetry. 4 is the number 4. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time, the Barrington Cultural Commission will be hosting an event called 10 Poems by Local Poets. You can find out more information and sign up at barringtonswhitehouse.com forward slash event. Again, that's barringtonswhitehouse.com forward slash event. Barrington is spelled B-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. Again, that's B-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. On Friday, August 21st, from 12 to 1 p.m. Pacific Time, Bridge Projects will be hosting its virtual poetry readings. And you can find out more information and sign up at bridgeprojects.com forward slash programs. Again, that's bridgeprojects.com forward slash programs. From 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquis 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 Poetry with 10,000 spelled out. On Saturday, August 22nd, from 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting his Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, New Women's Space will be hosting its bi-weekly open mic night. You can find out more information and sign up at newwomenspace.com forward slash events. Again, that's newwomenspace.com forward slash events. On Sunday, August 23rd, from 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Pure Ink Poetry with our past poet guest, Brandon Williamson will be hosting his video slam. You can find out more information and sign up at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's pureinkpoetry.com. Brandon is not only our past poet guest from June, he has also launched a new poetry album, which you can find and purchase at brandonwilliamson.herenow.com. Again, that's brandonwilliamson.herenow.com. 
And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Nadia Telenchuk. Hi, Nadia. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, Imogen. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. You brought with you the poem, The War. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself before we dig into that. I am originally from Ukraine, mm -hmm. and uh, I have moved to Berlin about six years ago, mm -hmm. now living and working there. Mm -hmm. Although I do still feel a very close connection to my homeland, I'm still trying to stay involved as much as I can in the projects that uh, have to do with it. As you might have heard, there has been a war going on in the eastern Ukraine mm -hmm. for six years now, started in So, I mean, we, we here do not pay that much attention to international news unless you're in certain lines of work or you have family and, you know, there are, there are a good number of Ukrainians, also people from Eastern Europe in general that probably are more tuned into the situation. Unfortunately, with our political situation, uh -huh, it makes it more, I guess, not as politically expedient to talk a lot about the war. It's just all the matter of priority, as I understand. Yeah, I can understand it must be incredibly frustrating for somebody who has such a direct or close link to what's going on. Were you from the Eastern Ukrainian region? I was originally born in the South, mm -hmm. not part of the Lex, but when the whole revolution in Ukraine started and then the war followed, I was studying and actually finishing shortly before moving to Germany, actually. Mm. The whole revolution was going on, on about two subway stops away from where I was living. So wow. um, I could actually see smoke from the main square out from my window. Wow. And it was a bit terrifying. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. So you were in the process already of migrating to Germany. I was. Well, I finished my bachelor's in Kiev, and I was going for my master's program in Germany. Mm. And it was just a matter of which university would finally accept me. But I have started the process long before all of the situation has begun in Ukraine. Right. And it, of course, I, I was just having some double thoughts about this. And, you know, a little bit cold feet. Should I go? Should I not go? Right. Uh, how will this whole situation develop at all? No. Uh, but yeah, I, I think most of the uh, application processes for uh, international degrees, they start about a year before you are actually accepted. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So it took a while to get here. Yeah, yeah. 
laugh your safety at least that you are in a different country of course that does not help your fellow countrymen ukraine is big like graphically right, uh, right. ukraine is the largest country uh, with the largest area uh, in the european continent and just because the war is happening in the east of course there are lots of bad influences not only directly on people and people's lives in other regions but also for the economy and for the whole political situation. Right. But you don't see the war in other parts as much as it is present in the East. Right. So I wonder, maybe now is a good time for you to read your poem, The War, and then we can talk about it. Sure. I wrote this poem back in 2015 when has been going on for over a year. Mm -hmm. I would just like to do a little disclaimer here that, that I usually do not write about politics that much. Mm -hmm. I'm rather a lyrical poet, mm -hmm. and I write in four languages, the ones that I know so far, more about love and emotions mm -hmm. and about other things that, that inspire. But this topic is just so close to my heart that I could not be ignored, and the words have formed themselves. Right. The war. A word I often heard before. My grandma used to tell me of the 40s. I never thought this word could be so sore. I never thought it could be mind distorting. This word has never seemed to hit so hard. It's something you're simply not expecting. It's God who watches every soldier start. It's God who hears prayers to protect him. The war. What does this simple word elude? I'd like to think it's just historic science. I'm proven wrong by every martial salute, by every order and by each alliance. One syllable in words should not be war. Let's introduce another set of notions. The war. A word I often heard before. However, I should have been much more cautious. And even now, I do not seem to grasp the meaning of this word within three letters. The wounds don't heal. They simply grow on crust. And now it is the only thing that matters. My people die. I never was prepared for such deep grief descending on my nation. Inside, we all are helpless, naked, bare, to understand the nonsense of invasion. It's me. It's us. It's happening today. This darned and this infernal word is startling. I hope my humble prayer finds its way and God will have a heart for my poor country. Thank you. You said you wrote this in 2016, like basically around the one year mark. 2016, yes. Okay. But that was the one year after. That was by the time I was already studying in Berlin. Okay. Sorry. And I clearly remember the time how I wrote it. I was sitting at the university during the lecture. Mm -hmm. I think it was about development economics, but I'm not sure what the exact topic was. Mm -hmm. I just could not concentrate on the class, not at all. And I would sit there and told grief and, and all of these negative emotions and, and the question, why does it have to happen to my country? Mm -hmm. um, they all kind of rose in me, so yeah. I had to write it. Right, yeah. So 2015 then, sorry, I heard wrong. And I forget if you've mentioned before what you were studying. I was studying international economics, mm. 
Yeah, we have to, right? That's <laughs> we can only try. I don't know because there's not much news on it. Is the war still happening right now? It is. It actually is, and I do get the question quite often here because people have not been hearing much about it, right? And it's not present in the media and in their head right now. Right. Um, of course, the numbers of people injured are not as drastic as first years, mm. but there are, are still people dying every day, there are still shooting, right. although we have tried, Ukraine has tried ceasefire mm -hmm. many times, and there have many international talks about it, right. people have signed different treaties, but none of those work. Yeah, I yeah, I remember a few of them a few years back. The war has created many different Mm -hmm. And socially, the effect has been really drastic. There were lots of internally displaced people. Right. And 2016, Ukraine was in top 10 countries with the number of displaced people. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a lot. That's not the statistic you want to be at. No, no, you do not. Yeah, it's, it's not. It just seems insane to have the war still going on, given what's happening with the coronavirus. And I know there were several ceasefires, not just, you know, or attempts at ceasefires, not just, you know, between Russia and re Ukraine or, you know, between the different sides of the revolution, but also other conflicts all over the world because of the coronavirus, there were temporary stops. So was there a similar temporary stop in the beginning of the, or I guess in the middle of the coronavirus? Because I don't, Russia did not get infections until somewhat uh, later than the rest of Western Europe, I think. Well, the thing about Russian statistics, you shouldn't trust it. <laughs> right, there's um, that. The problem is that they don't really account for all of the corona cases right. and don't really submit real numbers. Mm -hmm. The thing is, in Ukraine, saying so. Uh, all of the international statistics for the virus you can see on websites, it's, it's not true. Not for our, our country. Mm, wow. Yeah, because well, it doesn't even show me. It does show me Ukraine, but it can't get to exactly the numbers very easily but yeah it doesn't from what we can gather I mean it seems like it's in the Ukraine there's been over like about 1400 coronavirus deaths but I I guess just from what you said it's much more than that it is much more I remember my parents watching the news daily and seeing how every day there would be exactly the same number of new cases <laughs> exactly the same number of new people dying right, right. for a very stable period of time of i don't know several weeks or so so mm. it seems like like they're trying to regulate the information flow mm. for whatever purposes problem is from what i've been hearing from people there and seeing the reports online the reports which are official uh, you shouldn't trust them but the stories people tell yeah. the whole medical healthcare system in Ukraine, and I bet in Russia as well, is not ready for such a event. We don't have the important equipment. Right. We don't have the financial resources. Mm -hmm. We are physically not able to get all of those people who might need help in all of the medical institutions. So it's just about trying to stay back, back from it as long as it takes. Right, right, yeah. So during during this horrible pandemic where you, you can't even get the accurate numbers from the news, from the official news anyway, was there an attempt at ceasefire again? Oh, they've been trying it all over. <laughs> yeah. They try and then I think about a day later or so, the other side will start shooting again. So it's basically 
basically, I don't know, it seems like people are not taking it seriously mm. from the other side. But then again, there are political powers behind the separate forces right. supporting them who have been just giving other commands. That's why there is no ceasefire. Right, right. That must be incredibly disheartening for you and for those who are there to experience this as well. I, wanna... I must say that the worst feeling was in the beginning when I moved here and it was happening also far away from me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how I could help and I didn't know what I could do. Right. And so this feeling of helplessness is something that I couldn't really deal with very well. But then, in 2016, I came across a group of Ukrainian volunteers here mm-hmm. working on a project, which I'm now also very much involved with. What we do is we organize summer camps for women mm-hmm. for about and we get those kids for two weeks here, mm-hmm. and we organize a range of different creative workshops with them, mm-hmm. like acting, music, poetry, sci-fi, drawing. Right. Uh, cooking, all of those things, yoga, meditation, even some language workshops. And that's all done in order to show kids that there's also another way of expressing your emotions. Right. And also another way of coping with different situations. And that there is also hope. Mm-hmm. There are also better ways to live. And from what I know, most of the kids have been to actually go back to their communities and to start some activism right there. That's great. So the communities actually developed it. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's yeah, this year, because of Paris, of course, we could not organize the summer camp. Right. But we're now preparing the online version of it. Right. Just yeah. stay connected with the children somehow. Right. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you guys are able to or try to adapt to the unfortunate global situation that's facing all of us right now. I do want to backtrack a little bit and just ask you how you started writing poetry. Oh, it's definitely a while ago. Uh, <laughs> school, I guess. Mm-hmm. My first poem was for flying was when I, when I was eight, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then a few years later, you know, oh, First love comes and emotions just on you over the top, and then that's when the serious writing started. Mm. And because I was born in the south of Ukraine, I have two mother sons, Ukrainian and Russian, mm-hmm. and sorry, so. Right. So I started writing in both languages, and when I learned English later on, that also came up in my portfolio mm-hmm. <laughs> languages. Yeah. Um, Ever since I've been in Germany, German language started slowly to come into my dreams, and that also means I started writing in German again. Right. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah, German is not exactly the easiest language to learn. It's not, no, but it's still okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I came to like it. I came to find it aesthetically beautiful mm. from the sound. Mm. It's the Ukrainian, uh, uh, also a Slavic language like Russian? It is. It is Slavic, and we also use the Cyrillic alphabet. Mm-hmm. But some people are mistaken when they say that Ukrainian is just a dialect of Russian, mm-hmm. and that is the same, which it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is actually like on its own. Mm-hmm. Of course, it has some of the Russian influence words in it, mm-hmm. historical events. Right. But it's basically language on its own and I think that it's one of the most melodic languages you could use for songs or poetry because of the whole I would be repeating myself because of the whole melody mm. <laughs> um, how it sounds when you speak the words and the tone of voice I think it just suits poetry very well mm. so it's not it's not close to German in any way right no not at all okay. uh, uh, but um, I guess some grammar basics might be similar. Mm. When you said you started writing poetry at eight, do you remember what it was about? It was about Ukrainian language. And I wrote it in Ukrainian language, and it was just four silly little lines. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was a poem about the language itself. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's very like well meta, but also very thoughtful of you. I mean, it's not it's not the sort of thing that one would think、uh, someone who's eight would think about. You know. The problem is, I think the whole problem behind it is that people in larger cities than the south and east of Korea tend to speak Russian.、Mm. A sign of I don't know higher society or educated level for many years、mm-hmm. before the war,、right. and、uh, most of the schools were also Russian.、Mm. But my parents wanted me to go to Ukrainian school、mm. so that I would have my native language in school and so that I don't forget the language、right. and use it.、Right. I guess that's how. Love Ukrainian came to me,、mm. also mostly through school.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is kind of the reason why eight-year-old kid would be writing about the importance of Ukrainian language. <laughs> right, right, and that makes sense because I guess Ukraine was part of the USSR, right? For I forget how many、yeah. decades. It was after World War Two, right?、Uh, it was also before and. Oh, okay. Before the Soviet Union started in the beginning of the 20th century, Ukraine was also partly under the Russian Empire. Okay. For about a few centuries, so. Oh wow.、Um, it is actually historically huge impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can imagine. When did Ukraine gain its independence? There have been different times in history、mm-hmm. um, where different people say, "Okay, we have tried it." At the beginning of the 20th century, before the Soviet Union started, but the official independence date for us right now is、uh, 1991,、mm. after the Soviet Union collapsed. Right, right. I think 89 is when the wall came down, right? Yeah. yeah. That's when it all slowly started. Yeah. My God, there's two. Yeah. To live here right now, be able to walk every day. Where this history is, no. Right. So you live or you work nearby the wall? No, I don't. But whenever I have people over, of course, that's the first place they think. Yeah.、Um, <laughs> yeah. It does give one a, a very interesting feeling. Yeah, it does. It does, and I think culturally too, because I I was in Berlin and I was in both Western and Eastern Germany. And you can actually tell the difference. I mean, one of which is that Germans from the western part of Germany speak a lot more English, which I was both thankful for and also kind of rueful for because I wanted a chance to practice my terrible, terrible, horrible, very little German. <laughs> I'm sure it's not that bad. <laughs> no, no, it's horrible because I, I really, I never really learned it. I. I picked it up a bit when I went to Austria, because Austria people do not speak English as much as in Germany, because of、uh, rerouting. I kind of got stuck in Berlin for an extra week, which I did not complain, other than the fact that Berlin is very well, at least at that time, was a very cash-heavy culture, and <laughs> I was afraid that my cash would run out.、Uh, but the virus has changed. Right now, Germans have been famous for their love for cash.、Mm-hmm. And before, you couldn't pay for something which is less than ten euros by card.、Mm. But right now, the card is being accepted almost everywhere, which is definitely positive. Yeah, yeah, especially for what's going on now, it's incredibly important. And and that was one of the things that I found very very ironic, right? Because Germany is the symbol of the bank of Europe, like.、Yeah. So it was really ironic to see this cash emphasis. So I was surprised, and again, it emphasizes the idea that what you see from afar is just not the same as when you're when you're actually interacting with the culture. What your poem made me think of one of the poems that I wrote. Unlike you, I actually write a lot of political poems. I also write about love and everything else, but I tend to write a lot of political poems because I read a lot of news, and a lot of the news that I read just 
fosters very strong emotions in me, and so I end up writing about them. So I picked my poem, which is on another war that is happening now. It's similar to yours in that it also started as a domestic conflict, but then it's、uh, it's become a proxy war for international forces. I'm going to read that, and we can talk about it. It's called "If Not Now When." Hey, how have you been? At least two hundred fifty thousand are barely surviving. Nothing. I'm on assignment in Sweden. As of December, twenty million people in Yemen are hungry. Yeah, we've got plenty of choices, not just Swedish food. Both sides are accused of conscripting child soldiers. I wish you can see the view from this place—a real castle. Yemen is home to the world's worst cholera outbreak. Sure, I'll send you a few pictures when I get the chance. Millions have been displaced, and thousands of civilians have been killed. It's going to take a while. At the moment, this is all about building confidence and setting the stage for bigger negotiations to take place next year. We had a banquet tonight. I'm stuffed. Seventy percent of Yemen's population is food insecure. Yeah, I'm ready for bed. It's going to be a long day tomorrow. Eventually, he hopes for a ceasefire around a key port, or the reopening of an airport to allow resources to enter the country. Kiss the kids for me. I should see you during Christmas break. A child under five dies in Yemen every ten minutes. It is a very strong piece. Thank you. And I noticed that you have combined parts of the、uh, news post.、Mm-hmm. And I really like the parallel that you're drawing between your experiences or the experiences of the teller of one the,、uh, main actor, and then the actual situation which is happening at another place in the world. It's a drastic comparison. Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I, I don't know if you had a chance to read this article. Yeah, I did. Okay, cool. This poem is entirely inspired by this article. I have been following the situation in Yemen for a while now. I knew it was getting worse and worse. It's kind of ironic because the U.S. is involved in both conflicts, and specifically, our current president is. Indirectly involved in both conflicts because he supports both countries that are backing the separatists. I'm not as familiar with the Ukrainian situation. One of the links of the two conflicts is the U.S. and is also our current president in particular. I read this article and this, the date of the article was December sixth, twenty eighteen. It was taking a long time, and it was this actual talk was taking place in a Swedish castle. So the I speaker in this poem is not me in particular. It's a fictional character I invented, thinking that it's a person in the delegation, but not maybe one of the actual peace brokers, but maybe somebody who's like middle ranking or low ranking. Who is obviously very excited to get this work trip?、Um, yeah, the poem is showing two different perspectives very well. Thank you, thank you. I don't know if, when you were reading this poem, if it echoed what you were writing or what you were feeling when you were writing your poem. It is hard to actually answer that question because I don't know if we can compare, or I think that. War in itself, regardless of how many people suffer, is always awful and terrible. And right. I don't think that it's ever fair, and I don't think that it's ever done in a right way.、Mm-hmm. It's always nasty, awful, new normal, which so many people have to accept. And I guess that that is something that clearly. Same for everybody who、uh, has to suffer the war circumstances or its aftermath. Yeah, 
Well, I definitely don't want us to be comparing wars because, as you said, it is always awful. It is never done in the right way. And when you said that, I thought about how ironic it is that we have sort of international rules about having wars, as if it's some kind of sports event, you know, <laughs> which always seem ridiculous. At the same time, from the other side, I can understand why it is important to have those internationally recognized standards of wars, as ironically sounding as that is. The fact is, for people who do survive and who have the means, they can go to international bodies like the UN or the EU or and ask for help. But for regular people, for civilians, it's as you said, this new normal that they don't necessarily have a role in making happen, but they have the responsibility of trying to survive in it. So in. You say it, it is important to talk about it. Yeah. One cannot completely ignore the situation or forget about it or leave it aside. It is important to talk about it, but I kind of have a feeling that many people don't really grasp the magnitude of the situation. Yeah. Uh, for example, when these news reports keep on coming that there have been so many thousands killed or injured or displaced, it's just not for people who are reading the news. And okay. they might not see it as a huge sum of people's lives. Okay. And somehow, one story of one person with a name and a face to it can affect the reader much more than this news report with many hundreds in it. Right. And right. it seems a weird. Well, I think it's a very human reaction because we have very limited capacities, both physical and mental capacity. It's sort of this helplessness that you felt when you first arrived in Germany, being distant and not knowing how you can do what you can to help the situation. I, I think people feel paralyzed in some ways when they see such numbers. I think there's been studies about that. When people don't know what to do, then they just somehow pretend like nothing is going on if they can't, if they're not affected directly. And I think we see that with the people's reaction to the coronavirus as well, because we don't, yeah. people don't know what to do with it. And for some people, even though it's completely illogical, they are acting defiant to the health rules, especially in this country, but I imagine in Germany as well, because they think this is the way that they can sort of attack or gain control, having some sense of control over the situation. Right, right, which is actually self-defeating and very dangerous in many ways. And, and I think that's why it's very important for people who are in leadership positions to make sure the message gets out there with a, a to-do list, with small chunks of actionable items where people can say, well, oh, okay, well, I can do this. I, I might not be able to help the whole situation, but I can do this, just like you have done with the volunteer organization that's helping the kids helping to build a better future, helping them to envision a better future, and also giving them some of the tools necessary to channel their negative feelings into more positive outlets. So, so with this whole volatile world which we have nowadays, how do you think, how responsible should a poet actually be? Well, I, I think it's up to the poet. Because, you know, we are all individuals as well, and some of us are not responsible people. Artistic skills are not, do not necessarily go in hand with our feeling of responsibility toward our fellow humanity or humans. And so I think for those who do feel responsible or sense of responsibility or sense of connectedness, to do the research, first of all, to read up on the situation and, or, or to find people who are more familiar with the situation and to find out about it and to 
especially if you have access to people who are directly victimized by these conflicts, I think one of the most important things is to ask them what they would like. Because a lot of the time, I feel like international NGO work, for instance, are done by people with very, very good intentions. But sometimes they might not be helping in a way that they think they are because they have never asked the people directly affected by these situations what they want. To backtrack a little bit, I feel like people in those dire situations do not necessarily know exactly what they want. They just want help. They don't necessarily have the time to think about exactly in what form that help should come. So it's a double-edged sword, but I think when possible, we should at least make the effort of asking victims of trauma, whatever trauma, personal level or or worldwide or national, international level trauma, how people want to be helped. And I totally agree with you on that. It is important to stay in conversation, like open dialogue, and to actually keep on asking for some feedback for what people really need. Yeah, yeah. I think it also gives people a sense of agency as well, because then when conflicts happen, whether it's, again, on the personal level or the national, international level, it's it's a sense of helplessness, right? One of the reasons why we feel victimized is because we have no control of the situation. We totally lose control, any sense of control over the situation. So having that feedback loop has both a real effect and a psychological effect of saying to the victims to say, oh, okay, I actually matter. I still matter to people. Um, I'm not just a number. I'm still a human being. Because even in these refugee camps, people lose a sense of who they are because they are not allowed to. It's so restricted. People are not allowed to go around to do what they can to survive or use their skills that they personally possess. So again, you lose your sense of identity. I don't know if you had a chance to hear. I spoke with a poet who's a refugee from the Democratic Republic of the Congo when I was in Uganda. Uh, I I must have missed that episode. Oh, I'll send you the link in case. Okay, yeah. So this organization in Uganda, this poetry arts organization in Uganda, has gotten funding from the EU to go teach spoken word to refugees. And that's how I met this particular poet who's a refugee, is through that organization, through one of their events. Back to our poems. So when, when I was asking you the question before about if you felt any kind of reverberation with the feelings you had when you were writing your poem, I was asking more about that, whether because there, there will be similar feelings, even though it's not about the same war, obviously, or about the same country. Because the invocation of feeling is why I chose my poem, because to me, there were so many similarities even though, obviously, on the on the individual level, it's different. On the feelings level, emotional level, I guess that is exactly the same. I mean, it doesn't matter which war you look at or which conflict, but as a sense by a person, all you can feel is being helpful, being perplexed, questioning many things, and maybe also feeling that whatever is happening is unfair. Mm-hmm. And I guess those were also kind of the feelings that come from your life. Yeah, yeah. Because you talked about the many attempts at ceasefires, right? Which, you know, basically get violated in a day or two. And it's a similar situation that happened in Yemen. Uh, There was a good chunk of time when there was an actual ceasefire, but now the war is back on. There's been bombings again. When the coronavirus first happened, and and it went international, basically, and it it was going through borders to every country, I I think when that happened and when it hit Saudi Arabia, which is behind the bombing of infrastructure that's basically causing all this uh, horrible side effects of the war to, you know, the cholera outbreak, the famine that was threatening to happen. And this, again, this idea of, 
oh, these people, I mean, even from the, even from the article itself, it's describing an incredibly long peace talk process, which again, logically we know that is necessary in order to build something that's lasting. At the same time, you are fighting against time because real lives are being lost because there, there are these side effects to the war that when, when it's not being talked about in the news, for instance, uh, as you experience, people don't think about. People don't think about on the everyday level what does bombing, destroying of infrastructure actually do to everyday life? And unfortunately, it's almost always the case that the higher level this conflict is being talked about, the longer it takes to actually come to a resolution. So it's, it's all fighting against time. Yeah, it is. It is. That's why I wrote it in that very stark, contrasting manner because it felt that way when the article was talking about, oh, it's taking place in a, in a <laughs> castle or, you know, oh, this negotiator is talking about, oh, yeah, we're just paving the way for trust, which, again, logically it makes sense. But, again, it's just, you know, they're trading against lives lost. And as, as an observer, both of us, in a way, are, you know, have this observer role. Again, this, as you said, the feeling of helplessness, the feeling of, my God, when is it going to be done? Because you know there are some losses, though, besides lives, you know, if it's holding, it's like a dam, it's like a virtual dam. It's, you know, once cholera outbreak happens, once famine takes place, then it's going to take a domino effect and, and the death will come much quicker which is why people, we are told to stay home, right? To do physical distancing, because it's the same thing. Because if we break the healthcare system, if we break the food infrastructure, then much worse things will happen. The side effects will become worse than the outbreak itself. You said you wrote your form in 2018, so that's three years ago. How have your feeling for the situation over uh, I'm fortunate that when I write something I get a release of feeling then I can I personally can put it away for a while it is something that's in my mind though I'm not personally I don't have personal connections to Yemen as you do with Ukraine so I am lucky and privileged in the sense that I can put it away if I want to. I can shut the news out if I want to, but I still do read up about it and I get the news feed about it because, you know, because I read up on, on it, you know how the, the search algorithms work. The more, yeah, the more you read up on something, the more news you get about it. So I do still get news about it and I'm really disheartened to find that the, the war is back on, that People have somehow, quote unquote, adjusted to the coronavirus, to the devastation of the coronavirus and to the, or just maybe just ignoring the risk of the coronavirus. I suspect it is sadly the letter. Yeah, it, it might be. Because again, we, we as human beings have this trouble, you know, like grasping things that we can't see, we can't observe in front of us if we're not made to see it we kind of just like we can we can i think in some ways we're just intelligent enough to do ourselves in i don't know if you know that expression you're given enough rope just to hang yourself with yeah i get it yeah it's very disheartening because in these situations, we are really dependent on, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm using every cliche there is, like, you, <laughs> we are depending on the weakest link amongst us, basically. <laughs> and, um... Well, we know the cannot come from out of nowhere, so that actually do have a meaning. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like all these wars, all these infrastructural damage through wars, through conflict, through neglect, 
through willful defunding of NATO infrastructure has made all of us who are in that situation, in those situations, or on the receiving end of those situations, more vulnerable to something like the coronavirus, uh, to climate change, to all of these things that when we had the time to fix, we just said, well, no, it's in the future, it's not going to affect us, we're not going to fix it. The ironic thing is that there is a link to temperature rise and violence, or violent behavior as well. The climate change that we're facing and also the resources that are becoming more stretched because of climate change will in turn cause more conflict. And so I... It's so interconnected. Yeah, they're all very interconnected. I really appreciate our talk today and I appreciate you enlightening me and hopefully enlightening some of the listeners about the situation both in Ukraine and in Yemen, both of which are not talked about as much as we like them to be, and both of them are not addressed in in the way that we like them to be. At the same time... From my side, I'm also very grateful because you have let me talk about something which might not be the very first topic that comes to your mind. I get it's not comfortable to talk about war in general, but it's also important. So thank you for giving me the chance. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate that you were willing to open up about it and talk about it because, again, like you said, um, a personal story is much more relevant to people than looking at numbers, even if those numbers are just horrendously large. In fact, they, the, the larger numbers tend to shut down people's emotions because they feel like they need to self-protect. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you spend this time with me. Before I let you go, I would love for you to tell the listening audience where people can find you I don't know if you attend regular virtual readings still, which ones you attend, and also how people can follow you on social media. Well, ever since being in Berlin, I have been an active member of the Berlin Spoken Board. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how we met, remember? Yeah. But I think they don't do it online anymore. Uh, they have moved offline a few weeks ago. Okay. And they're trying to do this with limited and uh, reservations and everything. Right. Uh, we'll see how this goes. Right. Other than that, I do have a, a public page on Facebook, mm-hmm. which is very easy to find. It's Nadia with three eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a story behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead, tell it. My full name and, and password is Nadia with double I mm-hmm. uh, because this is the way how you transcribe Ukrainian. Mm. Uh, So the Facebook one is Nadia with three eyes. Yeah, that's, that's one. Okay, great. I'm not really on other social media, though. Okay, that's fine. You know, as long as people can follow you on Facebook, that's fine. They can contact you. Uh, so then your the proper way to say your name is actually Nadia Telenchuk? Yeah, that is correct. Okay, okay. That's good to know. I'm going but, to... you know, Nadia person is actually more... <laughs> yeah, but this is your episode, so you get to, you know, be presented the way you want to be presented is your name. I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't give you much, but at least that, you know. 
Thank you. No problem. Thank you again for your time. Don't forget to check out the episode notes for this podcast, as I've included a number of articles about both the Ukrainian and the Yemen wars. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com or via Instagram or Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on either Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Stitcher. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.